1: Recently a peaceful protest and march was held outside the Department of Health with a plea to the government to reform eating disorder treatment services in this country. Amy Handley, whose daughter has been diagnosed with anorexia nervosa was part of that protest and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you Amy. Good
2: Good morning. How are you? I'm
1: very well and thank you for taking time out to uh, to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Now, you started a campaign called Mind Everybody and that was after watching your own uh, daughter uh, and how she was being treated. Can you just share a little bit of what you witnessed and what's wrong with the current system?
2: Yeah, so I ended up calling it Mind Everybody because that was the main flaw that I saw with the system, watching my daughter trying to get her care over the year was that there was no connection in service between physical health and mental health. So if she needed um, mental health, she would be either outpatient or in an inpatient psychiatric unit. But if she needed medical help, she was then transferred to a children's hospital to get the medical help. But when she was there, there was no therapy offered to her, which is you know urgently needed for a mental health disorder like anorexia. So, the complete disconnect, I felt like really lengthened her recovery time. Like, if I felt like if her body and mind had been treated together, both the physical and the mental health, that it would have really helped her recovery process to be treated as a whole person instead of having, you know, different components of the disorder treated at different times.
1: And is all the research there, Amy, that early intervention can and does make a difference in recovery rates?
2: It is, yeah. Like, I mean, it's often quoted that early intervention is key. Um, But then that's one of the obstacles as well that we encountered. It took my daughter over a year um, to be seen off the comms waiting list. So, like, by the time we kind of noticed something was wrong and we were a bit concerned. And by the time she got a place in comms, I mean, she went from being concerning to needing hospitalization, So that one year, like, was really detrimental to her. And we, as parents, didn't know what to do. We didn't have a diagnosis at the time. So, you know, we didn't know if it was anorexia or disordered eating or ARFID. We had no idea. So we didn't know how to best support her during meals. Like, we just really didn't know how to help her. So, like, parental support during that time would have been crucial. Like, an earlier appointment for her would have been crucial. And we did have her in private therapy. Um, But they're not eating disorder specialists.
1: Yeah, and it, I just think it isn't often discussed, but eating disorders, people die from eating disorders, Amy.
2: That's the thing. I mean, that's the, that's one of the quotes that always comes up as well, is it's basically, it's the deadliest mental illness because it affects your body so much. Um, but at the same time, like the treatment just isn't there for it. So considering it has like the biggest, you know, physical impact on your body out of all the mental illnesses, Like, there really should be immediate and, you know, whole body treatment for it.
1: And eating disorders don't just affect the individual. The entire family is affected, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah. Like, the amount of time that I've had to take off work in the past year, I think I've taken four months off of work. Um, I'm planning to take this December unpaid off of work because tentatively um, she might be home um, in December. So, like when she's not in school, she does need full-time care at home. And then the amount of times we've had to drive back and forth to different hospitals, to different inpatient facilities, the amount that we've had to pay in parking. And then I have an oldest daughter as well. She just turned 18. So that's time that I can't spend with her either. So it's, and you know, of course she gets to see her sister in hospital getting presence and attention and she's at home and everyone kind of forgets (laughs) that she's here because, you know, so it, it really does affect the entire family. And how young was
1: your daughter when, you, when she first started to develop the eating disorder?
2: So we think it was about when she was 13. Um, but we, again, as parents, we were a little, a little bit clueless. We had only kind of noticed she was getting a bit pickier with eating. And then like we, her friends kind of started telling us she wasn't eating lunch in school. And then we kind of paid more attention at dinner times and noticed you know, most of the food would end up in the bin. So it was kind of at that stage that we realized, okay, there's a bit more maybe than picky eating. And so we got the appointment with the GP to get the referral um, to comms. So I think she was about 14 at the time we got the referral to comms and then 15 um, when she was seen by comms.
1: Crazy that she had to wait a year and those waiting lists are as long now, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Very hard as a mother, Amy, yeah, to watch your daughter go through that.
2: It is like the, I can't even tell you like how helpless we felt because we felt like every every time we tried to get help for her, we hit some kind of obstacle so like the biggest issue we hit was when she was in Temple Street Hospital. Um, so she was in an inpatient unit for three months, and then she was discharged home. And then less than a week later, she was in Temple Street Hospital. And so when she was there, we kind of assumed she would go straight back to the inpatient unit because you know her bed was still hot. Theoretically <laughs> yeah. speaking, like she had just just been discharged. Um, but then they wouldn't take her back saying that it was a catchment issue. And at the time, we had no idea it operated on a catchment basis because she was there previously. Uh, But they were kind of saying the hospital she was in before was in the catchment, and the hospital she was in now was not in the catchment, so they wouldn't take her back. So basically, none of the um, inpatient facilities would accept her, um, partly because she was reliant on the NG tube for feeding. She, She wasn't eating a lot orally at the time. And so she was reliant on the NG tube. Um, So we did try to go the private care route as well. Like when none of the public facilities would take her, we tried private care. And at first um, my insurance was saying it was a pre-existing condition because even though she wasn't diagnosed at the time I had insurance, she had symptoms. So she didn't qualify for private care. So we switched to um, a different insurance company and then she did qualify for private care but then the private facility wouldn't take her because they don't have NG facilities. So there's that risk when she goes there, if she needs, um, if she needs help eating with the NG tube, they would have to send her to a medical hospital. So we, we basically just got stuck in temple street with nobody to help her. So we just, we felt completely helpless. Like we, we couldn't do anything. Nobody would take her. Like she was just stuck in a children's hospital, which isn't the place for somebody with a mental illness.
1: And all that they can do is is look after her physical side, not the mental side, which is causing the physical side.
2: Exactly. yeah. And this was the obstacle. Like this was the catch 22 was that she needed the mental support to be able to help her to eat orally again, because it was a huge issue at this stage trying to get her to eat orally. So, but she didn't have that mental support then. And then like the psychiatric inpatient units, they wanted her to be eating orally in order for them to accept her. But like she couldn't eat orally without the psychiatric help. So she was just literally trapped. So it was extremely frustrating.
1: We're coming into a uh, you know, Christmas period, which I always think of people with eating disorders and we normally have the group Body Wise uh, join us on the programme. This can be a very difficult time, can't it, for both the person with the eating disorder and their families, because so much centres around food in this country at Christmas.
2: Yeah, it is really difficult. Um, now I just had, we're, we're American, we were born in America, lived in Ireland eight years now, but I still celebrate Thanksgiving which is a huge, hugely food focused event, you know, there's a massive amount of food and my daughter was home for a visit over Thanksgiving. And so I gave her plenty of options. You know, I said, you don't have to come here if you don't want, you can go to your dad's that day. I said, or I can try and make it as easy as possible and, you know, hide all of the dishes so you don't actually see the amount of food and, you know, I can help you make up the plate Um, You know, we can watch TV at the same time. So it's just kind of being mindful that like that amount of food for somebody who's struggling, it is very difficult. So it's trying to not focus on the food, trying to focus on getting the family together, enjoying spending time together and, you know, just telling the person that you're aware that this is really difficult day for them and just trying to support them and make it as easy them as possible. Um, so Gosh. it is hard, but just being, being yeah. mindful of
1: it. God help you all. God help you is all I can say. It's really, really uh, difficult. So at the end of the day, Amy, what we need is more inpatient beds and more special specialised care. We simply don't have enough at the moment.
2: Right. Yeah. And the connection and services, reduced waiting lists, Trained staff. I mean, I think that was the part um, I know in the news recently Lindara's beds um, didn't reopen. That's one of the specialized inpatient units in Dublin. And the beds that were temporarily closed didn't reopen because they just can't recruit the staff. So recruiting and retaining staff is a huge issue as well. Okay. And
1: and I know you said your daughter's in hospital. How is she doing at the moment?
2: She's doing well at the moment. I don't want to jinx it. But I, know, I, know. Tens- I know. She's tentatively sent for, set for discharge in December. OK, so.
1: okay listen, she's uh, lucky to have you. You're a fantastic advocate for her and indeed for others with the eating disorders. And uh, we thank you, Amy, for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you so much. Thanks. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Amy uh, Hanley. And as she says, she's started a fantastic campaign. Well worth, if you've got any interest, or if you've got anyone in, in your family suffering with an eating disorder, Mind Everybody is the name of her campaign. And we wish Amy, and in particular, her daughter, uh, well into the future.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.